Miss the show? No worries. On point and on this podcast, could we be headed into a war? Uh, the short answer? Yes. So while the world's been looking away distracted by COVID, uh, Russia has been amassing a massive show of force along Ukraine's eastern border. And Vladimir Putin's got a message to NATO allies. Let Ukraine into NATO and he will launch an assault in a matter of weeks. So President Biden will meet with the Russian leader on Tuesday. He says that uh, he'll make it very difficult for Russia to start trouble. Yet, if Russia does make a move, and they very well could, without question, Canada will be drawn into this, and it has enormous implications for the world. So we'll talk about that. The United States also announcing a diplomatic ban on sending political delegates to the Beijing Games. What will the Trudeau government do? They should stand with our allies, but of course they've been silent on this issue, and whatever the decision is made will give us an idea if Trudeau still admires the Chinese dictatorship. But we'll also talk about the ambassador to China who helped get the Michaels free and has now resigned. So this is one of the most important and top-level advisors to the Prime Minister on China. What does it mean moving forward? And we hear from those who managed to get out of South Africa and back on Canadian soil. They're now being forced into quarantine hotels where they sit and wait for days for a negative test and explain appalling conditions where they can't get diapers, formula, a salad that's not rotten. So is this our approach to COVID? I mean, really? You've only had two years to get this right. Let's get talking. Right, great to have you here on this Monday. So, looks like we could be heading into a little Christmas showdown with uh, the U.S. and Ukraine. Not getting a lot of focus this issue. It is a massive issue uh, we should be focusing on because in just the last couple of weeks, Russia has amassed a enormous number of military along the eastern Ukraine border. And they plan to deploy 175,000 combat soldiers and all this amazingly crazy war machinery. Uh, half of it's already in place. And Vladimir Putin is demanding that Joe Biden guarantee that Ukraine will not be allowed to join the NATO alliance. Joe Biden's probably not going to say that. But nonetheless, the two leaders will be meeting via Zoom on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. And Biden's saying that the U.S. is going to make it very, very difficult for Vladimir Putin to take any military action. But if he does, Ukraine expects Canada, which already has troops on the ground, to step up. And if Putin does do anything, this will have massive implications for the world. Marcus Koga, founder of Disinfo Watch, senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and expert in all things Russia, China, Indo-Pacific issues, joining me now. Good to have you. Thank you for having me on. You have been watching this uh, for a while now, and you send me a lot of stuff, and we're like, okay, when should we talk about it? When do we talk about it? It's not being talked about at all. Um, and what we are talking about is a conflict that very well could happen. Yeah, so I've been watching this situation since uh, well before 2014, um, because that's how far back this situation goes. Um, I think your listeners will, your listeners will recall that in 2014, Vladimir Putin um, sent in troops, uh, took off their insignia. They called them little green men because they were all they were, they were just dressed in green fatigues. They arrived in Crimea and, and uh, in, invaded Crimea and uh, illegally annexed it. Uh, at the same time, Russian troops, uh, uh, Russian-supported troops, invaded eastern Ukraine. And um, ever since 2014, there's been this 
uh, simmering conflict going on. There's never been a, a proper ceasefire, even though Vladimir Putin agreed to one in Minsk uh, at that same time. Um, there's constant shelling that's going on, uh, shooting from the Russian side. Uh, so this conflict has never really gone away. Uh, it's certainly become a lot more quiet in the Western world and, and here in Canada. Um, and uh, last spring, uh, it, it sort of popped up in the news again when Russia sent uh, nearly 100,000 troops uh, to its border with Ukraine. This included uh, you know, heavy military equipment, uh, battle tanks, uh, artillery, um, and some field hospitals as well. Uh, it seemed like the mm. threat had sort of receded in the summer, but now there are some estimated 115,000 uh, Russian troops again on the border. The situation seems like a geopolitical hostage taking whereby Vladimir Putin is essentially holding a gun up to uh, Ukraine, as you mentioned, demanding uh, various things, including that, uh, that Joe Biden commit to not allowing Ukraine into NATO, among other things. Uh, the situation is, is very tense. And, uh, you know, even those experts who've been skeptical about a possible invasion are now thinking that uh, it's sort of in the late December, January timeframe, uh, something may indeed happen on that border. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, geez, I mean, you, you look back um, while we've been dealing with this nightmare of a pandemic. I mean, what has happened other than all of us losing our sanity and all the other economic and big stories coming out of this? I mean, in the foreign affairs front, I mean, the pandemic yeah. has served our enemies really well. It's emboldened China. So they're doing what they want to do. And it's emboldened Russia. And both of them are moving full steam ahead with the goal of their their hope for, you know, some kind of supremacy over the world. But, you know, it's if this actually does happen, it's it's hard to us estimate the implications. Well, you bring up a really good point about China um, and COVID. Uh, COVID really has provided a a really wonderful opportunity for author authoritarian or, sorry authoritarian regimes mm. uh, to exploit mm -hmm. all of the confusion, the chaos. Uh, the focus that we've put on dealing with the pandemic it has allowed these authoritarians to make some. Uh, some geopolitical moves, uh, moves within their own country, um, you know, uh, crack down uh, on their on opposition and, and the critics and, and repress their own people. But uh, further to your point about uh, about China, you know, how we react today, not tomorrow, not in January, but it's literally how we react today in the next 24 to 48 hours, the, the phone call with between Biden and Putin. Um, we need to stand up against Putin. If we don't stand up at this point, if we do not impose significant consequences and articulate those very, very clearly to him, there are, you know, the precedents that that could set down the road. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty serious. And, you know, it puts other countries, other NATO members at risk, because if we're not, if, if we yeah. signal that we're not standing up for Ukraine, who else are we going to stand up for? And as far as China is concerned, they are also very, very close, watching this very, very closely to see how we react. Because as you and I have talked several times over the past few months, the uh, Chinese posturing uh, about Taiwan, the, they're yeah. you know, constantly sending these, uh, their, their, their military aircraft into uh, you know, uh, airspace that is defended by Taiwan. If we don't stand up for Ukraine, it's entirely possible that China will take that as a signal and uh, and escalate the the situation uh, oh, sure. in uh, in Asia and in Taiwan as well. So, um, like I said, it's really important what we do today 
and within the next you know few days in a couple of weeks is going to set the tone for years to come. Yeah, well, why wouldn't they go after Taiwan? I mean, we completely abandoned Hong Kong and stuck our our heads up, um, you know, where the sunshine doesn't shine. Um, you know, but you know, while while Melanie Jolie readies herself, building you know monuments to honor her staff and stuff like that. I mean. There are some real serious geopolitical threats on our doorstep. Um, Ukraine has made very clear that they expect Canada, which, of course, has troops on the ground there, to get involved. I don't get the sense that those of us who are leading us actually think this is going to happen because they probably think that, you know, Biden will just slap more economic sanctions against Russia. But I don't get the sense that that's the only thing Russia wants. Um, And so, you know, to your point, we're going to be having to make decisions even if this government does not want to make decisions. Well, look, I, you know, I was surprised last week when uh, the uh, new uh, chief of defense staff, General Wayne Eyer, um, was quoted in the Globe and Mail saying that Canada would not send more uh, troops and support to Ukraine um, because it, he didn't want to provoke Vladimir Putin. Um, you know, that's, that's exactly what, what Putin was hoping that we would do. That's exactly what he's hoping that the United States and, and other NATO allies will do. That um, the intimidation, the, 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 the buildup that he has uh, created on the Ukrainian border, that that will, that will intimidate us into not supporting Ukraine. Um, and so I was a bit baffled, at least strategically, by, by the general's position. Um, you know, what we need to be doing is talking to our allies and sending in more troops to help train uh, those Ukrainian um, troops and and their armed forces. It doesn't mean that yeah. Canada needs to commit itself in any way to you know getting into the front lines of things, but to send that sort of support, you know, uh, sending yeah. equipment, supplies, um, advising the Ukrainian government. That's what we need to be doing. Um, you know, in addition to other you know things like placing sanctions, additional sanctions onto the or the Putin's oligarchs. Uh, but so we need to be supporting the Ukrainians right now. And, you know, the decision that and the comment that uh, the general made isn't, isn't helpful. Wow. You know, just when you think that the world can't get to be a more troubling place, here we are. People exhausted, tired, and now uh, looking at this. Well, we'll definitely keep our eye on this and see what comes out of the meeting. I'll probably end. I'm going to end up having you on my show every single day, I think, for the next year because there's so much <laughs> stuff going on. On the other side of the world, but nonetheless, very glad to have your voice on this. Marcus, appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. That's Marcus Kolga, who uh, watches this stuff for us very, very carefully. And thank God he does, because I don't think anyone's paying attention. And that is exactly what Russia, China, Iran, all of our enemies want. Keep looking away, Canada. You really are not doing yourself any favors. Nonetheless, uh, coming up, could we be headed into a war? Uh, The short answer is yes. And this is what happens when the world looks away because Russia's been amassing a massive show of force along Ukraine's eastern border. And Vlad Putin's got a very simple message for NATO allies. Ukraine will not join NATO or he'll launch an assault in weeks. So Biden and Russian leader uh, Putin will meet tomorrow. And what comes out of this meeting will be very, very uh, important because no question about it, Canada will be drawn into this. Are you listening, Melanie Jolie? might want to start focusing on that. So we'll do that in just a second. Stay here with us. Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio.
I don't think that uh, we felt it was uh, it was the right step to uh, penalize athletes uh, who have been training, preparing for this moment, and we felt that we could send a clear message uh, by uh, by not sending a, an official U.S. delegation. Well, there have been a couple of very big changes when it comes to China unfolding today. So that was the United States announcing a diplomatic boycott on the Beijing Games due to concerns about crimes against humanity. Arrow Tool has called also for a diplomatic boycott. But so far, the Trudeau government has been quiet on this issue. I just, I simply cannot see how we don't stand with our allies. And if we don't, I mean, that sends quite a dangerous message. So that was one development. The other big development is more inside baseball. But the guy who helped free the two Michaels, this would be the probably one of the most important and closest advisors to Justin Trudeau, uh, is stepping down as our ambassador to China. This is a guy named Dominic Barton. He was appointed, obviously, to clean up the mess left behind by John McCallum. And yes, he had a hand in getting the Michaels freed, but he's also been criticized for being very pro-Beijing. So questions about his objectivity when it comes to that regime. And I don't know if you'll recall, but after the Michaels got released, he started talking about the fact that trade needs to move on with China. We've got to get back to normal. Um, so it kind of signaled that the Michaels were the hang up instead of seeing China as a bigger threat, um, you know, long term. So what does it mean then? If a guy like Barton is leaving, um, you know, this is a guy who has had extensive dealings with this country and the government, um, you know, and now he's out. So I thought, who does, who knows about this? Well, a guy named Charles Burton. Charles Burton, senior fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute in Ottawa. Non, uh, he's also with the European Value Center for Security Policy in Prague, a former professor of political science at Brock University, also one time served as a diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing. Charles, your title gets longer, but I'm happy to have you here. It's great to speak with you. All right. So a couple of big developments. It's like China's in the news every single day now. But what do you um, – let me just start with this boycott, the diplomatic boycott by the United States. Some have said uh, this is not uh, going to do anything. Some have said it's actually more dangerous to the athletes who get caught in the middle of this. But I, I would assume um, that Ch Canada will have no choice but to join our allies. Well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, the, the issue really was, would we see Dominic Barton sitting in the front row with standing committee members of the Politburo, um, you know, making nice over what a wonderful thing sports exchange is. And that won't be happening because, as you pointed out, Mr. Barton is uh, is suddenly leaving the post. But, uh, you know, there is a summit of democracies coming up Thursday and Friday that Canada will be part of, uh, held by the United States, designed to try and come up with effective measures to to protect democracy against authoritarian dictators. And pretty much all of those measures would involve China. So maybe at that event, there will be a common statement with regard to a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics and Canada will join. If we didn't do that, you know, it would really suggest that our China policy is just not serving Canadian interests or protecting our values. And, you know, what would be next? Would we okay Huawei 5G? So I'm sure hoping yeah. we'll follow the United States in this. Um, I don't think there are any guarantees. No, I, sadly, I don't either. And I, I do think Canadians will be extremely angry uh, if, if we don't take a step. Because most people, Charles, do not want any uh, Beijing games. You know, most feel badly for the athletes, but don't really want this country partaking in this particular games because of China and the threat they pose to this country. Uh, so Trudeau would be going against Canadians and their and their wants. But to your point about, um, you know, Barton's sudden leaving, I, I, it didn't dawn on me now that, I, now that you mention it. He would be the delegate sitting 
sitting in the front seat uh, for this country. Um, do you think this had a re- something to do with him suddenly leaving? Well, I mean, that could be one aspect. There's also uh, some congressional hearings coming up with regard to um, the firm that he was global managing director Mm -hmm. for from 2009 to 2018, uh, McKinsey. And these are about Mm -hmm. um, investigating um, whether McKinsey being simultaneously advising the Pentagon and therefore having knowledge of of U.S. Uh, military matters, and at the same time advising Chinese state firms who, you know, it's a military-civil um, uh, duality there in China, whether that poses a security risk. And so I dare say, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Mr. Barton wasn't called to answer some questions in the U.S. Congress, and that wouldn't be a good look for a sitting Canadian ambassador. So that may be no, also... No, it picked, would not, yeah. You know, but I, yeah. I, that's just speculation. Well, I don't know. Yeah, well, no, I think that uh, raises, uh, obviously, there's a few issues there. But, I mean, the big criticism when it comes to Dominic Barton is that he does a ton of business when he was with McKinsey, um, with China, the Chinese government in particular. uh, And he was not critical at all about the human rights, obvious human rights, um, you know, uh, records of this country. And so he's gone. And so it's somewhat terrifying because... uh, I don't have any faith at all that Melanie Jolie is competent to do the job that she has been given as head of foreign affairs. Um, And while I was very questionable about some of the things that Mr. Barton uh, did or some of his views, uh, at least he was an adult. Well, I mean, Mrs. Jolie has said that Dominic Barton, and I quote, will be remembered throughout history as one of Canada's great diplomats. So, uh, you know, we see where she stands. Certainly she, you know, wants to please the prime minister. I I, I don't have much evidence that, in fact, she's very familiar with anything about international relations. But, you know, I, I think that when Barton, after the uh, Michael Kovrick and Michael Spavor were returned to safety, spoke to the Canada-China Business Council and suggested that, you know, the resolution of the Meng Wanzhou um, issue took what he referred to as, I quote, a major emotional issue, unquote, off the Canada-China agenda, you know, that really suggests that that uh, he's all about business and promoting prosperity at the expense of everything else. I don't think he even took much interest in non-trade related diplomatic matters. And certainly he didn't have the requisite background to effectively represent us in China. So, you know, let's see who we get next. I mean, McCallum and now Barton, um, one hopes that we'll get someone competent there who knows the Chinese language and understands how that system works and has a record of, of standing up for Canadian values. Uh, you know, let's, uh, let's hope so. But as you say, um, we just don't know how, where the Trudeau government's coming in on this. Would any political appointee really want to go to China and spend time mm. in Beijing at this time? I, I wonder. Yeah, I would wonder too. But at some point, and I have to think that the walls are closing in on this government, they have to take a position on something, whether it is Huawei, which they have kicked down the curb, uh, the road as long as they can. Uh, but the Olympics with the boycotts and all these other, there's so many things kind of all a perfect storm of problems with China coming to a head for this country. Um, so they're going to have to take a position at, at, at some point. And I think whomever they put into that position will probably signal uh, you know, whether or not the prime minister still has an admiration for, for a Chinese dictatorship. Yeah, I think that that's true. I mean, of course, the ambassador only implements the policy of the government, but, you know, you'd certainly want someone that would uh, be willing to implement a policy that would be more favorably regarded by 
you and me and most Canadians, and Dominic Barton mm. was not that person, and and John McCallum wasn't that person. So let's hope they get someone in there that you know we'll look at and we'll feel we'll bring respect back to Canada and and show some backbone and and uh, actually move the relationship forward in a way that we want to see it going. I mean, after all, only about fifteen percent of Canadians polled are happy with the way the government's uh, handling the China issue, but unfortunately that. Among among the 85% who don't like China is evidently not the people who have the decision-making power in the prime minister's office. You know, they they seem to think that China is a place that we should be doing more with, and and that uh, you know the rumors of China being a malign influence in the world or seeking global hegemony are are, are overstated. Well, you know, let's uh, let's get real here. It's, we know what's going on, and it's time to do something about it. Just before I let you go, I mean, do you recall in, in your experience a more consequential time uh, for this country? No, I mean, this is absolutely, you know, um, ground zero. If we if we go to that summit of democracies and come out of it, you know, not agreeing to any substantive measures to protect the international rules-based order and our values and simply virtue signal that, you know, democracy, good, human rights, good, but we'll leave it to other nations to protect and defend uh, the democratic system, then I think it, you know, it's it's really the the beginning of the end for for Canada as a as a nation in the world that that respects the rights of our citizens. You know, mm-hmm. it it, uh, it it's it's uh, it's a critical time, and I I'm hoping that the government gets that message. It would be nice. It would be nice. Always appreciate your time. I know you're very busy these days, but uh, always appreciate it, Charles. Thank you. Great to talk with you. That is uh, Charles Burton. Among many, many, many of his achievements, he was also a former diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing, so he has a very unique perspective on this. Coming up on the other side of this break, the Trudeau government making an utter mess of travel bans and travel restrictions, and we've got hundreds of Canadians still stranded in places like South Africa and other banned African countries, and those who have been able to get back on Canadian soil now find themselves in quarantine hotels in Toronto that are being described as appalling, where diapers and formula aren't even available. We will talk to someone in that self-described hell in just a second here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson, this is Global News Radio. We are very concerned, it's stressful, they need to get back home. Uh, We are very worried here, you know, we're really concerned and we don't know what to do here. Oh boy, we've been hearing a lot of that from Canadians who have been uh, trying to get out of the African countries, slammed with a very sudden travel ban. And of course, uh, there are a lot of reports of Canadians having to go through Ethiopia where there's now a civil war, because that makes sense, you know, having Canadians leave the airport so they can get a PCR test before they can board a flight to Toronto. And those who do manage to get back into uh, Canada on Canadian soil then have to... um, get another quarantine. They have to go into quarantine while waiting for the results of a third COVID test. And maybe there's a reason these guests of the hotel are uh, forbidden from taking pictures inside the hotel. Many are reporting the conditions are appalling. Can't get access to things like food or do laundry, get formula, diapers. They can't even get anyone on the phone to tell them their test results so they can leave. And one of those people is Cynthia Walker. She joins us now. Good to have you, Cynthia. Hello there, Alex. 
Okay, so you're still in quarantine. Um, that's one thing that we can uh, check off our list. You're still in quarantine. So you were on one of the first flights out. You actually were one of the lucky ones. But it still took you 30 hours changing flight to flight to flight. You had to have five PCR tests. Now you're in Toronto, and it took six hours to get protest- processed into this uh, hotel. How do you best describe what uh, what the situation is like? Uh, um, I guess I would say appalling. I'm actually very shocked. And I'm a person who loves my government. I just can't believe this is Canada. You're a flight assistant, a flight uh, attendant. So you actually know the system. You understand how this kind of stuff works. And even you couldn't navigate the system. No, no. Because there was no policies in place. Um, the uh, The policies were put down, but there was nothing to implement them. So everywhere we turned, um... Canada was requiring a third-party testing in another country. And when we tried to get through, um, there was no ability for the third-party testing. Right. Yeah, because for whatever reason, um, the Canadian government wouldn't take a South African PCR test, which is very odd given um, South Africa actually has a pretty good medical system. So they're very insulted in South Africa uh, by the fact that we're basically saying they're not good enough to do the testing. So you have to get a test somewhere else, and you kind of have to have tests at every checkpoint. Um, You know, and you were on one of the first flights. It's gotten even harder for those who are still trying to get out. Oh, I know. It's just terrible. Um, I just got very, very lucky. Uh, I uh, found out that uh, Air France was going to allow us to go through as long as we had um, some sort of appointment for a test, for a COVID test at the airport. When they gave us the number to do that, it was um, my first appointment was going to be December 10th. So that didn't make any sense considering my flight was yesterday. I... uh, I thought I was done and because you just couldn't get through. And somebody on a WhatsApp site that I belong to posted um, a place where you can get appointments. I thought, oh, on a whim, I'll try it. I went through and I kind of went through the process. They asked for a French number, so I gave a fake French number and I got through and I got an appointment. Um, and I was lucky enough that I had talked to the staff that morning and they had put me on that flight just in case I could work something out. Um, because I needed to show that I was on a flight. So I I did that, and miraculously I got myself and my partner an appointment, and that's all that I seem to have needed to uh, get, at least from Johannesburg to Paris. And when we, got to right. Paris, no, when we got to Paris, they had no idea what we were talking about, what kind of tests we needed. They sent us to a whole other wing of the uh, airport at Charles Le Gaulle. So... Mm. Now we're now here we are supposedly passengers from South Africa that are doomed to be uh, quarantined and we're running through the airport looking through for our COVID test. So I went, I finally found it in another whole uh, wing of the airport. We had to take a train, one of those trams to it. Um, They did it in four hours. So um, I was lucky enough to get it done and uh, get back on my flight and show that I had the test and get to Canada. That's when all the fun. Yeah, no kidding. 
Yeah, um, and, and sadly, I mean, we had a, a woman on um, Thursday, I think, on the show, and she was trying to get out desperately, and her big concern was that, you know, she's a little older, and she thought, you know, I would just want to get out here because I'm worried about getting COVID, and she has, has she got on a flight today and had to cancel the flight because, lo and behold, she's caught COVID. Uh, but that's the situation facing uh, Canadians there. But to your point about when you come back, that's when the real fun starts. Um, it took you six hours to get processed and then stuck in a hotel room where you can't leave. Uh, the food's not apparently so hot. You got to wear the clothing on your back, assuming your bags arrived at all. Are you surprised? Um, I mean, quarantine's not, not supposed to be a pleasant thing. However, are you surprised at the conditions? I'm, I'm very surprised, actually. I think what startled us the most, the room is okay and the food is cold and, you know, it is, we get water in a bag that's delivered to our door with people in hazmat suits and gas masks. <laughs> I mean, it's just shocking. We are doubly vaccinated. We've been COVID tested five times to get here. There's nobody cleaner than, than us. And this is how we're being treated, as if we have covid and yet the other two countries, South Africa and Paris, treated us properly. And mm-hmm. the, really the craziest thing is that when we got into Canada, they let us off the uh, flight and then just put us with the masses. We were in security there with about 3,000 people all squished in together, no social distancing. Then they, when I finally got processed, which took about two hours, they put us in another uh, lineup for uh, COVID testing, and they were pulling people randomly out of security, out of the customs, from different places to get tested along with us. So now not only was I in in the customs hall with everybody, I was also now side by side, cheek by cheek, people who had been met from, to, from uh, I think it was Turks and Caicos uh, mm-hmm. that were beside us. And they were shell-shocked that they got pulled over for a COVID test. They weren't expecting it, and now they're in the lineup beside supposedly a person from South Africa that might be, you know, an issue. What, so. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've only got about 20 seconds left, but Cynthia, would you have gone on this trip if you knew that the government possibly could have shut borders to you? Absolutely, I wouldn't have, because... I w- um, South Africa was considered a green um, green zone for COVID, which is the same mm-hmm. as Canada. So that opened right. the border for us to go, and within 12 hours, they shut it down from green to red. As a, well, as nonetheless, a, yeah. You know, as a ex-flight attendant, I actually just retired um, hmm. a couple months ago. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done this trip because I wouldn't have got back. People have lost their jobs. Uh, one of the people we were traveling with, has spent $26,000 on flight tickets to get home, and he's a COVID doctor in Regina, <laughs> if you can believe it. And he oh, I can. I have to get yeah. home. So it's just it's just a complete uh, disaster. Just to make, I think, it look good um, that the government is being strong on COVID, but they actually don't have the policies in place. The policies in place, but well, no way to implement it. Yeah, I'm up against the clock, um, so I'm going to have to let you go, Cynthia. We'll follow up with you. I've got your number, certainly, but I know you're just waiting for that call to get out of there. I hope you get that call soon. Um, I very much appreciate you chatting with us. Wonderful. i got lots of free time, so please call. <laughs> and a great attitude. Cynthia Walker joining us as she waits in quarantine for her soggy uh, cheese sandwich and stale 
a salad. Nonetheless, her story is being echoed by many others. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us Monday through Friday, starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point, and this is Global News Radio.